Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening, turn to Psalms chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and I read the entire psalm. Psalms chapter 12. Help, Lord, for the ungodly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open thy precious word tonight. I pray as we look into the word of God that we might encourage our hearts before you and just strengthen us and, and just uh, pray that you'd undertake and meet our every need. And may you be glorified in your church. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like the whole world's wicked? You know, I've titled this message, Preserved by His Word, Preserved by His Word. You know, David, and there's, there's not a, uh, a conclusive uh, commentary on when this psalm was written by David, but it is a psalm of David. But evidently it was in some time in his life where there was, uh, he was being um, maligned and... Uh, whispered about and, you know, uh, accused falsely and that sort of thing. Uh, so probably, I read one that said probably, and, and I kind of think it's probably so, it was sometime early on in his dealings with Saul, uh, when Saul uh, was, was trying to discredit him and destroy him. But I noticed three things tonight as we consider this passage and we think about being preserved by his word. First of all, the tongue of the wicked. He describes the tongue of the wicked with, with three words, basically. Vanity, flattery, and dominantly. They all end with E. Uh, first of all, vanity. In verse 2 he says, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. They speak vanity. And the word vanity, he means a falsehood. It's a lie. Uh, if you go to 1 Samuel for just a moment, 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we'll pick up at verse 17, David has just killed Goliath, and they come back from the battle, as you remember, and the crowd's saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so Saul was envious, of course, of David immediately. And, and at one point he seeks, he throws a javelin to him, and verse 11 tells us that. And then in verse 17 it says, and of course one of the promises made to the guy that killed Goliath was, 
he'd his family would be free in Israel. In other words, they didn't have to pay taxes. What was another one? What was the other one? Mary's daughter. Okay. So that's what we're getting at here. It says, And Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife. Only be valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? What is my life or my father's family in Israel that I, sh that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Mahalalite, to wife. And Michael, Saul's daughters, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David. Commune with David secretly. You see the subtlety here, the vanity? Commune with David secretly and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee, and thou therefore be the king's son-in-law. And, and Saul's servants spake these words in the ears of David, and David said, Seemeth to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men. And brought their foreskins, and they gave them full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael's daughter loved him. And Saul was yet more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass as they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. And then if you drop down to verse... Uh, 11, Saul also sent messengers in David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. And so they speak vanity. And of course, you know, as you think about it, what the psalmist said, you know, David said, The faithful man fail from among Who can I trust? Who can I trust? You know, he's basically saying, Is there anybody that I can trust that will take Take up my cause. I'm innocent. But is there anyone I can trust? They're all speaking. You know, Saul is pretending to be for David in public while secretly trying to undermine, get rid, get him killed. So tongue of the wicked, of course, is speaking a falsehood. Uh, it's vanity. And then secondly, there's flattery. And the word flattery, there, it's just used in verse 2 again. It says, with flattering lips and with double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. The word flattery means smooth and slippery. Psalm 73:18 says, Surely thou dost set me in slippery places. Thou cast them down to destruction. You know, slippery, you know, smooth, easy, comfortable. Uh, making it look good, and it's not. Uh, Isaiah 30, verse 10 says, Which say to the seers, See not, that, see not and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things. You know, make it sound good. 
prophesy deceits, but it's deceits. You know, it reminds me of what Timothy says, they'll have teachers with tickling ears. They want teachers tickling their ears. They want to hear nice things. We want to hear about the love of God. Uh, we want things that sound, uh, make us happy. You know, that's a lot of people say they go to church. They, they, ought to, they go to church because they want to be made happy. Well, church isn't to make you happy. It's to make you holy. Um, speaking of the harlot, in Proverbs 21, it says, with her much fair speech. So again, here's smooth and slippery. Her fair speech is called here. She caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him. You know, there's a lot of flattering that goes on, uh, on the, with the tongue of the wicked. So there's vanity. There's flattery. And then they speak also dominantly. If you notice verses 3 and 4, it says, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Notice, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? And our lips are our own. Who's the Lord over us? Proud things. So they say, you know, our tongues will prevail. After all, our lips are our own. Who is the Lord? Of course, the word, the word Lord here is, you know, speaks of like a master of servants or a king as of lords over his subjects, a husband, lord of his wife, or respect due a father from his children. And it says, we will prevail with our tongue over the, over the, over, uh, over the, over the Lord, you know, over our Lord's. They're not going to be subject to anyone. They're going to be, they think they can overcome with their persuasive power. Uh, you know, we often, you've often heard it said, you know, the homosexual lobbyist group is very small. But it's very loud. Very loud. I remember talking to an old preacher in Maine one time, and he said about another fellow preacher, he said he thinks he can win an argument by being the loudest and doing the most talking, dominating the conversation. Um, you know, the, the word prevail here means to show oneself mighty, to act proudly. Uh, it displays itself in a disregard, again, for, for, for God-given authority. If you notice here, again, with our with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. So they're subject to no one. Who's Lord over us? You know, the Bible warns us in many places about the tongue. Proverbs 9, 10, 19 says, The multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 3 and verse 7 says, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, speaking about the Antichrist, it, it says that he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change. Notice, think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and dividing of time, times and the dividing of time. 
You know, the Antichrist thinks he's going to change times and laws. It's things established by God that will not be changed. And so that's the tongue of the wicked. Then I want you to notice, secondly, the trembling of the Lord. In verse 5 it says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Would you notice that phrase, now will I arise, saith the Lord. If you notice that word Lord there is all caps. Speaks of Jehovah. Jehovah God. The Almighty One. The All-Sufficient One. Kind of reminds me of what Moses said. Remember Moses, and, and before the children of Israel would... would uh, take down their tents and, and journey on. And when they'd set up camp, Moses would say in Numbers 10.35, it says, It came to pass when the ark set forth that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered. Lem that the hate thee flee before thee. In 1 Samuel, verse 14, uh, the Philistines had come into the land, invaded the land, and Saul and Jonathan and the armies of Israel were, Israel were encamped against them. And and uh, they were seeking advice from the Lord. And while they're doing that, Jonathan and his armor bearer go leave the, the army and, and, and make themselves known to the, to the Philistines, climbing up over some rocks. And I can't remember what the name of the place there was. But anyway, and they slew like 20 people in a half acre of ground. And, and then, then it says this in, uh, in uh, I thought I had it wrote down here. But anyway, First Samuel 14 and verse 15, it says this. And there was a trembling in the hosts in the field. And among all the people, the garrison, the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earthquake. So it was a very great trembling. And then in verse uh, um, um, 23, it says, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Bethhaven. You see, there, there became a great trembling in the host, in the camp of the Philistines. Because God got in the battle. God arose up and got in the battle. Spurgeon said this, quote, Think of God arising in his might. When he ariseth, he shakes terribly the earth. Nothing stands before him when once he arises. Poor, sick, needy, sorrowing, sighing child of God, it is you who can bring him into this marvelous state of activity, unquote. Job 24, 22 says, He draweth also the mighty with his power. He riseth up, and no man is sure of life. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5. Verse 1. James 5, 1 says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborer who has reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. 
And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the Lord, ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, in the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Uh, grudge not one against another, brother, unless ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Now, when the Bible uses the, the phrase, the Lord Sabaoth, the word Sabaoth means Lord of hosts, or the Lord of the armies of Israel. Uh, in his hymn that he wrote, uh, Martin Luther, in uh, verse 3, says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his, tri his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, second verse. Did, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Uh, and, you know, James is saying, look out, you rich men, for your miseries are coming upon you. Your miseries are coming upon you. Because the Lord of Sabaoth is going to take up the cause of the poor whom you've robbed. You know, David said to Goliath, remember what David said, or David said to Goliath, you have defied the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of the armies of Israel. That's the Lord of Sabaoth. And Goliath, the big bad wolf, puffed at the wrong person. His words were vain and boastful and proud. And you know, David said here in this psalm, that the Lord will rise up and he will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. It's like blowing hot air. Goliath was blowing hot air. You see, to, to man, he's a formidable enemy, but to God, he's just a big guy full of hot air. That's all he is. Because God will take up the cause of the saints. Job 36.6 says, He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. Psalm 31, verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Well, there's a reward for being proud. God will reward you for it. But he preserveth the faithful. Psalm 97.10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth, preserveth the souls of the saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Psalm 116, verse 6, The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Psalm 145.20, The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. Psalm 146.9, The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. And Proverbs 2.8 says, He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way 
of his saints. You see, there's a trembling of the Lord against the wicked. It says the Lord will rise up and set him in safety. But I want you to notice the third thing, the triumph then of his word. Notice verses 6 and 7. It says the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The word purified, of course, means basically this. God's word has been tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. You get the point. It still stands. It hasn't changed. And it says seven times or sevenfold. In other words, you know, of course, that's a number of completion or perfection. Uh, it has been firmly proven or established to be true and unchanging. And it's no respecter of persons. You know, many a man. Many a king has defied the word of the Lord only to find out that God does keep his word. In the end, God's word will be carried out. It will come to pass. Psalm 63, 11 says, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Romans 3.19, now we know that what things serve the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You know, Job 20 and verse 5 says that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite, but for a moment. Now, let's look at a few illustrations. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. <clears throat> God does keep his word, and God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter whether you're a king or a priest or who you are or a pauper. We have the same rights, opportunities, privileges, and responsibilities before the Lord. 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, and this is, of course, when Samuel had the, the Lord appeared to Samuel the first time. And it says, the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak, Lord, speak for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, notice this phrase, I will also make an end. When I begin... I'm going to make an end, too. In other words, what I start, I'm going to finish. I'm going to bring it to completion. Now, go to 1 Kings, and you'll see the completion of this judgment upon the house of Eli. Now, this is quite a few years later, but God doesn't forget. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 26. Abathur was a descendant of Eli. And God said that he's going to remove 
all of Eli's descendants from the priesthood. That's what he told Samuel. And a prophet also spoke to Eli about that. Uh, Abathur had, uh, remember when Saul, when the Abathur, it was, it was Abathur or Abimelech, I guess it was Abimelech, no, i trying to remember what the names, but I think it was uh, uh, his father, Abimelech, who had actually given David the Goliath, uh, the sword of Goliath. I'm trying to th- I think that was his name. Anyway, Abathur got away that day. Remember, got, Saul had Doeg kill all the priests that day. And so he killed them all, but Abathur got, ran away. And he's a descendant of Eli. And he served with David. However, when, when uh, Adonijah tried to usurp the throne, Abathur followed him. And so uh, David gave Solomon some instructions concerning Abathur, and it says in verse 26 of 1 Kings 2, And unto Abathur the priest said the king, Get thee to Anathoth unto thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and, has, and because thou hast been afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out Abathar from being priest under the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So this is a fulfillment of what God told Samuel back in 1 Samuel chapter 3 he was going to do to Eli's house. What happened years later? Abathar was the last priest of the family of Eli. Look at look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. <clears throat> and we have our friend Ahab. 1 Kings 21 verse 17 says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, 1 Kings 21, 20, or 18, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria, Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is going down to possess it. Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make thy house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the well of Je- wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. Now, fast forward to Second Kings chapter 10. Second Kings chapter 10. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 10, and you have Jehu who drives furiously. Jehu drives furiously. And in verse 10 of Second Kings 10, of course, Jehu is the, the man who the Lord used to bring judgment upon the house of Ahab. And in 2 Kings 10, 10, it says, Know now that there shall fall unto the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab, 
For the Lord hath done that which he spake by his servant Elijah. So Jehu slew all the remainder of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, and all his great men, and his kinfolks, and his priests, until he left him none remaining. None remaining. Go to Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. And we have another king who's haughty and arrogant against the Lord. And his name is Jehoiakim. And in Jeremiah 36, we have the story of Jeremiah writing or, or, or giving some words to Barak. And Barak writes them in a scroll. And there are some princes that hear about it and they take the scroll and read it. And they're, they're, they're showing respect and honor to the writings of Jeremiah, and they're fearful because of the words that are written therein for themselves and for the children of Israel and, and, and fearing the Lord. And, and so they, they say, you go hide that scroll, and we're going to go tell the king. So they go tell the king, and verse 20, we pick up, it says, And they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words of the ear, in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehuda to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehuda read it in the ears of the king, in the ears of all the princes which stood before the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass when Jehudi read the three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Deliah and Gamariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. But the king commanded Jer Jeremiel, the son of Hamalek, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdil, to take Barak the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. You see, Jehoiakim's thinking, well, I got rid of that. Now we'll wander our own thing. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll, and the words which Barak wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll, and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. And thou shalt say, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast? Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to set upon the throne of David. His dead body shall be cast out in the day of the heat, and in the night to the frost. I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because but they hearken not. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Barak, and the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned into the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words. So Jehoiakim, he burned the first one, but Je Jeremiah rewrote it and added some things to it. The judgment of Jehoiakim. 
Spurgeon said this, quote, The Bible has passed through the furnace of persecution, literary criticism, philosophic doubt, scientific discovery, and has lost nothing. But those human interpretations which clung to it as an alloy to precious ore. The experience of saints has tried it in every conceivable manner, but not a single doctrine or promise has been consumed in the most extensive heat, unquote. You know, this means that the word of God, which we have, can be trusted in every sense. It's good, pure, and thoroughly tested. You know, God has tested his own word. It's also, of course, been tested by students, scholars, critics, doubters, and it still stands. It's like the anvil that wears out the hammers. You know, Voltaire, the French atheist, once said, In 20 years, Christianity would be no more. My single hand should destroy the edifice that took 12 apostles to rear. He wrote that in 50 years, no one would remember Christianity. But in a year that the British Museum paid the gov Russian government $500,000 for a Bible manuscript, one of Voltaire's books was sold for eight cents. See, we think, we can think that God's word, as the psalmist said here of these, we can think that God's word will not apply or affect me. But to not affect us or them, it would have to be changed. And God doesn't change. And God's word will not change. Isaiah 45, 23 says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Did you ever, you say something and you have to take, you want to take it back? God doesn't ever do that. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing wherein I sent it. See, it is going to do, and God is going to do, what he has said he's going to do. It will come to pass. If we rebel against him, we reap the consequences. If we follow him, we enjoy the blessings and reap the rewards of that as we have seen from, from different ones tonight, examples. Jesus said in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth mine words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So in the end, even though it may seem for a time, you know, it seemed like Abathur got off with, for, for a while. But in time, God brought his promise fruition and Abathur was cast out you know it seemed like everything went well with Ahab for quite a while he even got Jehoshaphat to help him some but in the end the dogs licked his blood and they ate Jezebel 
wicked as she was. She must have tasted all. You know, what a way. You, you see, God's word will come to pass. It is the anvil. There's a little poem written by a guy by the name of, at least it's attributed to a guy by the name of John Clifford. It says, goes like this. Last eve, I paused beside the blacksmith's door, and I heard an anvil ring, the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and battle all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then twinkling with an eye, the anvil wears out the hammers, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word for ages skeptic blows have beat upon, yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed and the hammer's gone. You see, the word of God is pure words. It's incorruptible words. It cannot be defiled. I understand a little bit of what this guy's talking about, the anvil and the hammers. On my growing up years on the farm, we had an anvil that we'd lay our sycamore mower blade across and, and, and drive rivets out of it and then flatten them out to tighten new sickles back on it. But you know, it seemed like you know, hammers would wear out, but it didn't seem like anything ever happened to that anvil. When Dad sold it, when I was probably 40-some years old, it looked just like I remembered it as a kid. And that's what God's word is. It does not change. In fact, he says, Thou shalt keep them, verse 7, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You know, the wicked walk on every side. Wicked are everywhere, trying to discredit and deny and do away with the word of God. You know, the Catholics, they, they made it the, their mission to destroy the King James Bible. You ought to look up, what's it called? Fox's gunpowder powder plot. I think that's what it's called, isn't it? Fox's, Fox's gunpowder plot in England. It was during the translation of the King James Bible, the Catholics tried to blow up the entire parliament of England. And they almost came off with it. They got caught. You see, so our first Peter one twenty five says, The word of the Lord endureth forever. In Psalm 138, verse 2, the Bible says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for the loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou wilt not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. And then he says, I've magnified my word above my name. Where does that leave one who tries to destroy the word of God? You see, your tongue of the wicked can speak their vanities and their flatteries and their proud words. But the Lord will rise up and he will bring judgment and he will preserve his saints. Uh, we need to simply trust in him 
put our confidence and assurance in him. Though we see the wicked on every side, yet we can trust and depend on the word of the living God. He is the Lord of Sabaoth. He will preserve his saints. And he will triumph over his enemies and our enemies as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in it. And Lord, we thank you for your promises. And we pray that you help us to hold fast and keep your words. Uh, help us be faithful. Oh, Lord, I pray that we, we'd help us not to be discouraged uh, with the wickedness we see going on in our world today, but help us to look to you and look for the opportunities you give us to serve you with gladness and rejoicing in your promises. We do pray in Jesus' name.